Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 325. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about the news, we talk about culture, and where we take a bow, because crazily, we here at Fake the Nation won the award for Best Political Podcast or the People's Choice Podcast Awards. What? I am your host, Nagib Farsad, and isn't that crazy? I really didn't think we would win because, I mean, one of the nominees is Jon Stewart, so why would we have won? It's a crazy. Anyway, so insane. So uh, grateful. Thank you to everyone um, who initially voted, and thank you to whoever this mysterious panel of judges is that thought um, that uh, we were deserving um, beyond the others uh, who were also incredibly deserving, obviously. <laughs> what? Is that a weird way of saying it's? It was just this. I share this award with all the nominees. It's just an honor to be nominated. I mean, okay. So so, um, but no, thank you so much. I'm so excited. It's like, it's really, it's really nice to be recognized. I, I blush. Um, today, we're going to talk about Iran and like, we're really going to get into it and we're really going to talk about Italy. And then we'll ask if getting fired and falling in love are the two most important things you should do before you're 40. Today, I'm joined by, oh, this panel. Folks, so exciting. Um, you know her, you love her. I love it when she's on the show. Uh, she's a writer. She's um, 
oh, she's like this brilliant, comedic, progressive communication strategist. Uh, you've seen her everywhere. You've read her works. She's just all around utterly phenomenal. It is the wonderful Sally Cohn. Hey, Sally. Oh my gosh, can I get that introduction in a fridge magnet? <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much, and I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> so happy to see you, and and thank you for being a part of the show. Lo, these many years, and uh, this award-winning show. This award-winning show that uh, Sally, we're just aging together, talking about <laughs> news and culture. That's what we're doing, just aging together. Um, I am also joined for the first time, but I hope not the last, because she's so clearly delightful. She's a host of the Under the Desk news show on TikTok, which is like exceedingly popular. You probably already know what I'm talking about, but then once you go look at it and see how many followers it has, you realize that like everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, and also host of the V Interesting Podcast, it's V Spear. Hey, V. Hey, thank you for having me. And also, what a warm welcome. I feel all no, okay. just like cozy and beautiful. Thank you. Oh, good. Um, Your throw pillows are in the mail. Good. Um, thank you. Before we get into the show, I want to thank listeners who showed up um, to the show in San Francisco at the Battery, and also apologies for people who, who, with whom I had communication mishaps. I have since learned that I cannot be in charge of my own ticket giveaway situation. <laughs> Andrew and I talked about this before the show. Um, it requires more um, logistical planning than what I had anticipated. Uh, and I, I uh, you know, it's classic first generation immigrant kid taking on more than they can chew because they're su you're supposed to work 16 hour days and that's just the way you're supposed to live your life and uh and it turns out it's difficult to live life that way uh, <laughs> and mistakes are made <laughs> so anyways thank you so much and also i got like a cheesecake from a listener in San Francisco. So amazing. Um, I, I, I got, uh, my, my kid got headbands. I, I don't even know. Listeners of Fake Nation are really, really the most generous and delightful people um, ever. And I will let you know about this cheesecake uh, once I get permission from the listener to promote his cheesecakes. <laughs> They're so good. I ate this cheesecake like I'd never eaten anything before. Shoveled it in my mouth like I was was gonna die in minutes it was crazy what i did under the i i, I closed the shades i was alone <laughs> we've all been there okay yeah. and i also want to remind listeners that you can join patreon we just posted a fun episode about the phenomenon of finding out that your ex is still using your netflix password um and that episode was with ophir eisenberg and Kristen meinzer and you can get fun episodes like that for as little as four dollars a month which is like the cost of a latte minus the tip, all right, because of inflation. Amen, sister. Yeah, yeah, a latte minus tip. Um, it, the cost of that for a month gets you, um, you know, two bonus episodes of Fake the Nation, and they're so fun and 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 ridiculous. They're actually, I think, the 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 more ridiculous um, parts of the show. So I really enjoy them. Um, so let's get into it with topic number one. 
few weeks ago, Massa Amini was stopped by the morality police for, for violating Iran's dress code. She was detained, and then she died in detention. Iranian state TV claims she suffered from heart failure. Her family says she was beaten. Protests erupted all over the country. Iranian celebrities that have spoken up about uh, have been arrested, and most of the demonstrations around the country have been led by women. Uh, protesters have been shot and beaten. Uh, the regime has cut off the internet in an attempt to squash the protest because there's been an international movement to support the Iranian women. It is both a hopeful and a scary moment. And um, my um, first question is, I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> As you know, I'm Iranian. Really? And I have a <laughs> I have a ton of um family there with whom I have not been able to get in touch. Mm. Um and 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 I and I think that they're fine. It's I haven't been able to get in touch because of the um communications have mm. been blocked. Now, um I guess my first question for you is it's so interesting because I feel like everyone knows about this, but then I was talking to someone who's like kind of a news hound and he was like, oh yeah, what's going on over there? And he didn't know about this. So then I was like, what do people seem to know about this as two people who are, I assume, not Iranian? Um, what is your understanding of this situation and why do you think it's kind of taken on these international dimensions? So on TikTok, which is where I spend most of my time, people are very aware of the situation and have taken it so far as to get those first person lived experiences from TikTokers in Iran before their their Internet cut out. So I would say the focus, while it initially started with showing women protesting in the streets, it has now evolved into them having a lot of questions and trying to investigate, like, what is going on with the students? How are they are they being held captive in the schools? Um, what is the impact on young people? And what I've been so encouraged by with the kids is that they really know the history of U.S. and Iranian relations. And they have this hope that kind of like in 1953, maybe the United States should help overthrow the government. And I'm like, I don't know, guys, like, I don't know if that was exactly great. But it did lead to, you know, a period of 40 years of great relationships between the US and Iran and um, a pretty liberal life over there from what I understand from TikTok. Um, so that's kind of what they're talking about is like, how much should the US get involved? How can young people get involved? And they're taking it incredibly seriously. But they have a hopeful lens. And just, just you know, the the 1953 um, Mossad um, toppling was like a really d low point in Iranian history because he was democratically elected leader and he was trying to nationalize Iranian oil. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's why the, you know, uh the U.S. stepped in and uh, and so and it led to the Shah's regime mm -hmm. and the Shah. It's inter what's interesting about this is people have asked me, you know, about the morality police and stuff like that. And I could talk to you guys about run ins with the morality police of my own. But um, the hilarious thing is like my you know, my my family also has stories about being detained by the sh by the, you know, the brutal Shah, um, you know, so he so it, it was confusing. And I think this is this is a thing that's confusing, is that an, um, a regime can let you wear mini skirts, mm -hmm. but also be extraordinarily violent. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that was was happening in, you know, in the 70s. So the, it's funny because for as many stories of detention um, and, and violence as there are during the Islamic Republic, there were 
also those stories during the Shah's regime, um, but we were allowed to wear mini skirts, right? So it's like, it's a, I guess it's a confusing look for a Muslim country. Um, It is. And with the kids only really understanding, you know, because we're not taught that here in American history, of course, properly, they're like, oh, people were really free and it was kind of Western and everyone seemed happy. And I'm like, we have to go a little bit deeper. Let's just, yes, let's take that energy, but let's dig a little bit deeper into what was it like from, from not the U.S. propaganda lens necessarily of that experience. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I think there is a lot people don't know about what's happening. Um, sure. and, and I assume I don't know half of it, too. I'd say it speaks to sort of two broader trends, dynamics in news and politics and activism today. Right. The first is there is this assumption um, that many of us sort of in the West have many of us in the sort of progressive left of the spectrum have that of this sort of linear both trajectory, right? Like, well, freedoms and liberty come with democracy and and also a, a, a sort of propulsive direction of that, right? Like, as things become more democratic, they become more socially liberal, they become... We, we assume that, and I think in what's happening in Iran now, what's happening in Iran historically, if any of us were paying attention... And also what's happening around the world really jumbles that, really really shows the reality, which is much more complex, multidimensional. You know, there there isn't just always a natural progression from A to B. It doesn't mean that democracy, more democracy doesn't always mean more liberalism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's one right. dimension. The other is, um, you know, we're watching, uh, suffice it to say, I do not spend most of my time on TikTok. I don't even know how to get there, but... <laughs> I will take sometimes, you there. It's a very my, special place. It's okay. My kid shows me the TikTok. So so I'm I'm down with the TikTok. I get it. I get lots of TikTok videos texted Guys, to me. I just want to point yeah. out that uh-huh. Sally is a very hip person. Okay. Oh, and I'm very just... proud of being not hip. It's okay. Like I'm cool. Listen, I feel... <laughs> I'm just I don't know about you, Nagin. I'm in a race against my own irrelevance. You know what I mean? Like I just gotta stay employed <laughs> until I'm so old that I'm like, the kids are doing what now? Like that's that's just <laughs> That's the race we're running. So the other dynamic, though, and it's not irrelevant here, is that, you know, we're watching uh, some real questions be raised. And it's going to be interesting whether Iran right now falls into this or counters this of people's protests, uh, you know, sort of people driven movements, etc., being less effective, less successful now than they were. I mean, and we're talking like statistically than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. And why is that? And does that have something? It could have lots of explanations and lots of variables. It could have something to do with social media, right? And the fact that, you know, and this happens in the United States too, right? You look at sort of post-Roe, it's like, oh, well, oh well, what did I do about it? Oh, I went on social media and I did, I did something. Mm-hmm. So I didn't actually like go organize, go you know, have community meetings, go build anything either that had, you know, a sort of a lasting endurance that required social bonds and, you know, networks, actual networks, not social networks. And, you know, it was temporary, it was thin, it was, right, it was sort of symbolic, right? It was virtue signaling, not actual organizing, power building, etc. You know, what's interesting about Iran in the context of this is, of course, as you said, like communications are shut down, like it actually forces in a way 
people to organize and actually like in old school ways that in, that there's a lot of evidence is actually more enduring, right? right? When you have to actually talk to your neighbors and talk to your friends and turn out people at a protest or whatnot and actually put your body on the line, it's a whole different ball game with whole different implications, good and bad, but but generally it seems like more impactful than when you just had to like, you know, tweet a picture, right? Right. Post a TikTok. Right. And so that's, I think, one of the other sort of global subtexts behind what's what's happening that I because, least, you know, you yeah. know, and what's interesting about Iran is that it really has experience in having these sort of like bloodless revolutions. Not that this is one of them, uh, because to date, it looks like maybe uh, as many as 133 people have been killed so far by the government in in these protests. But in 1979, that's exactly how they built uh, a revolution. Now, look, the revolution didn't turn out the way they necessarily wanted. A coalition of different interests kind of gathered around um, the around. Ayatollah Khomeini, as we now know what happened. And then he came in and six months later, you know, hijab became mandatory and everyone was shocked. Right. Because um, a lot of the factions were like, we weren't into that, though. What are you talking about? And then it was sort of like too late. And then Iraq attacked and it sort of ended up cementing the regime because a lot was going on. Um, And when you're in a war, you sort of just have to rally around whatever you know, garbage government you're uh, given. Um, but I think you're you're right, Sally, that in the 79, they didn't have those means and they did do that kind of grassroots um, movement building and it did lead to um, a regime change. And so, you know, so, so everyone's talking about like this being that moment um, again. And um, I would say, like, so for people who might be curious about the morality police, um, it's so also weird because I feel like when we talk about these things, you know, I don't want to make it seem like you you go into Iran and everyone's dour and scared mm-hmm. and there's no joy and it mm-hmm. sucks. Like, mm-hmm. that's also not the scene that I that exists, you know. But I will say, I remember when I was like, thir- you know, when I was 13, I started to have to wear to cover my hair um, at, as we used to summer in Tehran. The, I was stopped. Um, well, I was whistling or something. I was whistling a, a song. And um, my aunt was like, oh my God, what are you doing? You know, we walked by the sister's who are there to like look at your body and uh and uh, they and she was like what are you doing whistling or whatever and I was like what do you mean what am I doing whistling I used to whistle a lot actually as a teenager oddly a uh, little known fact about Nagin Farsad a world-class whistler um and uh and so so yeah she was just like you can't whistle those songs it's like illegal you know what songs? I think I was, wait i mean what honestly, song can you like, whistle it right now i know this it? is very off like topic. we should dandy. we yeah. should really I, I, be I, I'm, i'll close the episode okay, with some whistling so that people understand my powers um and I'm a real a test for stephanie's engineering system. on the audio um, i mean let's I know, just be clear i know that's okay. what this is really about uh, and that's why we win podcast awards but so what happened but so no, so that I stopped whistling. But another time um, when I was a little older, I was stopped because I was wearing fashionable sunglasses. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, 
they looked cool. And I'll 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 admit to that. I looked fucking pretty cool that day. And uh but you're not supposed to wear fashionable sunglasses. Like and and it's interesting because it's very subjective. And the other thing mm. that's interesting, so then the the other weird funny thing is that my mom was also stopped when on a separate day, she was walking with her sister wearing fashionable sunglasses and she froze. Like she was so unused to this right and just completely froze and then just handed the sunglasses to my aunt sort of like i don't know where those came from they're not mine <laughs> sort of like crazily throwing my aunt under the bus okay anyway, two questions. And then, i have two questions yeah. and I, I know this is an awkward thing when we get to do this show and you get to make comedy about really horrific and no i know things. It's, but it's I, I do have two yeah. questions here one is um are you allowed to wear not fashionable sunglasses well the th- he, this is the this is the fundamental problem is that the, there's no uniformity in which these rules are applied right okay. and so yes. when you talk about so it, and Masa Amini was not the first person huh? to be beaten she's not the first person to have died in the same way that George Floyd wasn't right so we're seeing the, there's something systemic that's been going on for decades and then for some reason this particular case is the case that captured everyone's imagination um and and i you know i i'm talking about these kind of silly moments about sunglasses or whatever and when you're they add up up to more serious moments where i've had family members that were detained and then they had to like take a punishment of a of lashing and then they had to spend two weeks on their stomachs while the lashes on their backs healed or whatever and so these are um real um um and Re- i'm sorry and oppression yeah, yeah. There, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. real yeah there's real repression and i only experienced it as a tourist so what the fuck do i know right like i got to leave and so it was never like it was kind of like a cocktail party for me of like mm-hmm. i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna tell these really fascinating stories about repression at, at parties yeah. you well, know but, they, and, but they're um, fascinating because they have a parallel right and that and that parallel that that root i would argue is nationalism right that's that's what's driving a lot of the hate in this country that's what's driving a lot of the policy in iran that's what dri- that's what we're going to talk about italy i think eventually but it's yeah. this root of what is nationalism? What does it mean to belong? What does it mean to own this narrative? And what is right mm-hmm. and what is wrong for us here? And when nationalism gets involved, it, it is a, a swift decline because you, because it doesn't have boundaries and it is just led by hate and is just led by trying to other people. And when you do that, this kind of stuff happens. And I think we're seeing that over and over. Yeah. And 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 I think the the the, the other interesting thing is that like, Women are at the forefront of this, and mm-hmm. women have been the symbolic, literally carrying the the visual aspect of the Islamic Republic on their shoulders for decades. And so th- I think it's not shocking to me that this is the breaking point. Um, and the thing that I, uh, I, I hate to say is the, the fear that everybody has right now is that it's going to just be suppressed yet again, the way the green movement was suppressed in 2009, the way other movements but have it been might suppressed. Not be. And, but it might not be. Well, and, so, Nagin, what and, I want to know is what do you yeah, want us to know? That's why it's scary and hopeful at the same time. What do you want us to know? I mean, like those of us who, you know, maybe we, 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 we I mean, what, what do you want us to know? What do you want us to know? What do you want... I get people to do, but I feel like what can you, you know, it is a, know, if it is it's, a genuine it's, people's move. It is their movement, but what do you want 
people to know? What do you wish they knew that they don't know? I mean, I there's one weird thing that's going on, which is that we're simultaneously negotiating about the Iran nuclear deal, mm-hmm. which is a deal that like I've been a super big fan of for a long time. Um, however, currently negotiating about that with a government that's also brutalizing its citizens seems wrong. So um, I, you know, it, should that come up and whatever, like that seems like something Biden should um should be like we're gonna we're we're gonna stop this until you guys fucking clean up your act and listen to your listen to the voice of the people and what they're asking for um can i ask one more thing on that yeah on that topic too just you know there's like directives what can what can adults who have power do and this is maybe one of those things or we can lobby our congressperson for that for the folks who are on tiktok right or young people yeah and they're doing things like they're showing their support by shaving their head by cutting their hair by reposting videos by trying to uh give platform to folks who are in iran and then the scary thing that happens is you'll duet somebody's video and then that video will see video no longer available which means either their account got taken down or we don't know what happened to them and there's been some criticism that people in the United States are centering themselves by imitating the actions that women in Iran are taking by cutting their hair in the street. What do you say to that? Like folks are sort of grasping at straws and sometimes imitation is the only way they know how to sort of bring it home. Is it effective yeah. or is it not? I don't I, I mean, here's here's. The the interesting thing that happened in 2009 is that there was like all of this international – I mean it was on the news every single day for like a week. There was just hundreds of thousands of people on the streets and you could see the the footage, um, the the protest footage was just truly amazing. And then – this weird thing I mentioned just on the show before, but this weird thing happened, which is that Michael Jackson died. And then all of the international attention and, and went to the death of Michael Jackson. And then the um, and then oddly, it's sort of like Iran was able to then effectively suppress the, the green movement um, because the in- international focus had just gone elsewhere. And so um, I don't I'm not. I'm not bothered by people showing their support and shaving their heads and all that stuff. Like, not bothered. And I think it's really difficult. We we even see now with the war in Ukraine that people are less interested. The people care less. The people are paying less attention. So I under so it's very difficult to sustain international interest in something. But that's what it kind of needs i think and also there's all sorts of stuff hey google executives if you're listening big tech can help um with the with the connectivity issues that iranians are having uh and that's something obviously that like individuals can't do and shaving your head can't do that like literally like the government needs to um bring uh tech companies together in some sort of public forum to uh evaluate the what they can do to bypass government censorship and that's that's something that like you know nato countries could get together and be like how are we gonna buy help the iranian people do that google you know whatever elon drop that starlink right yeah exactly so so all of that stuff um 
I guess just like give a shit or something. I, it's so weird. I g- care like it in, but then yeah. care like in two weeks from now. Care for longer. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. care for a little longer because maybe we can do it if if it's for a little longer. It's so easy for our own leadership to be like, well, I don't need to make a statement now. Nobody cares. Well, and we're coming right? up on November elections, right? So we've got a lot of right, you know, anti-nationalist agenda on our own radar. Ugh. All right, well, folks, um. I'm, we've gone long on this topic, but obviously it's a uh, issue um, close to my heart. Um, let me know what you think in it and hit me up with any questions. I, 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 I don't even know if I uh, said everything that is useful. <laughs> All right. Let us move on and uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. back and we're going to do a quick before we get into the next topic a quick races to watch electoral contests to watch folks listener magdalene reached out and asked us to look at for odessa kelly for congress she's running for tennessee's seventh um so again that's odessa kelly she's running for congress in tennessee um and uh, she seems like a very promising uh, candidate take a look 
people in ten- listeners in Tennessee. I'm also so happy to know that there are listeners in Tennessee. Mm. All right, let's get into it with uh, topic number two. Georgia Maloney is set to be the first female prime minister of Italy. She's from the Brothers of Italy party, which is rather uncomfortably a descendant of Mussolini's political lineage. So there's like a touch of fascism there. <sighs> Um, what, um, I don't know. V, you're, you're Albanian. Is that yes, right? Your background? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We're <laughs> so not feeling gross. great. We're not feeling great. We already escaped <laughs> Italian fascism one time. If you want to know how it went, it went very, right. very poorly. It's not cute. What, tell, tell me what, what's going on in Italy? So I, they're trying to do a fascism again. And honestly, like they tried it last time. It did not work out well. Like I said, my family is Albanian. They escaped the Italian fascists. A lot um, of people got involved that time. Yes, yeah. a lot of people got involved that time. That was a big one, <laughs> if you will. Uh, my grandmother remained so afraid of the Italians that she like did not want me or my sister to date Italians. We both married Italians, of course, because that's what you do Hilarious. when you rebel. Of course. And um, we weren't allowed to have passports. She was just terrified, terrified of what the stories of her parents really had been um, and what life in Albania was like under uh, fascist Italy and just the way they extract resources and just like keep the people in such poverty. And again, it comes back to this idea of nationalism and, you know, who gets to run who and these like annexations out of nowhere, like kind of what Putin's trying to do where he's like, nah, this is mine now. And it's like, but it's not. People live there. And like right. they didn't <laughs> right. know. And they and they have a fully functioning government and whatnot. Um, yeah. So not feeling great about this. Hmm. The Albanians are not feeling great about this. <laughs> the voice of Albania here at Fake the Nation. Your official voice of Albania. Yes. Um, wow. Sally, like what what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> this is why, again, why we, we win the podcasting it? awards. And how do we fix because... it? Yeah, uh, let's be clear. <laughs> yeah. You didn't win the podcast award because of this here guest. Uh, who the fuck knows? No, look. Um, Unfortunately, hi, I'm here to contextualize the trend, the shitty trend in Italy as part of a larger shitty trend, shitty trend worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, um, I actually wrote a whole freaking academic paper on this, which will be coming out sometime soon. I'll let you know when it does. Uh, where I talk to democracy activists, pro-democracy activists, leaders, researchers, you know, grassroots folks around the world about this sort of trend of, uh, trend toward autocracy, you know, trend away from democracy. And the fact is, you know, it is a, it is a real trend. It is a statistical trend. The world is becoming less democratic. The world is less democratic today than it was 10 years ago. Um, you see rising support for autocracy and or equally pro- disconcerting, uh, 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 you know, sort of a, a declining support for democracy or declining support for democracy as the sort of end all be all. And there's a, several reasons for that. One is certainly history fades, right? Um, I think in general, as a species, we have not done a really good job uh, across the board of learning and remembering history. It's Which is weird because I feel like Steven Spielberg alone <laughs> was like, here's a hundred movies about that yeah, one history. But the youngins and don't yet, watch those, Nagin. You and I is watch that? them with our dentures and our popcorn. Oh, we're going to get another World War II movie Fuck, but like, apparently we needed all of them to still be here. 
I know, but also it's one thing to watch the movie. In fairness, it's another thing to have lived through it, right? So, like, if you lived yeah. through, right, like, these grandma is going to have a really different attitude uh, about fascism and a direct lived experience of it than V, or for that matter, you know, V, you don't have kids, but you might someday and join someday. the hell and join the hell that Nagin and I know. Anyway, <laughs> um, my kid's older. I know hell. Anyway, but it's different, right? It's different. And then when you, and, and so the other thing, right, is, you know, sort of class, and we can see this playing out in the United States as well. Um, you know, we are in the middle of a pretty not great time economically. We can talk about all the reasons why, right? Is this a sort of long tail of globalization and the unhinging of corporations which get to run roughshod around us around the world while, you know, people and jobs and resources are constrained and wages go down and, right? We could talk about the pandemic and how that exacerbated some of these dynamics. Like, there's all kinds of reasons, right? But you have people, this is a very oversimplification, you have a people writ large who are not doing as well as they or, or feel like or are not in absolute terms doing as well as they felt like they were 10, 20 years ago, plus are worried they're not going to do as well as their parents' generation, plus have political parties that are ripe for exploiting this, always have, right? They didn't create or foment anger out of nothing. They foment it out of, uh, you know, perceived or real economic hardship and then attach it to scapegoating, right? That's what happened in Nazi Germany. That's what happened in Italy right before Mussolini. We see this pattern over, this is what happened with Trump. We see this pattern over and over and over again. So part of it is a, there, there's two dynamics here. One is that you still have vibrant, nationalist, fascist, autocratic, right-wing, often sort of socially right-wing, often deeply anti-immigrant parties in, in this world and that are looking to exploit uh, openings. And you have openings. Right. In part because uh, and this is this is at least what I would argue, in part because a lot of democracy, small d democracy has been captured by, uh, you know, corporate big business elites and has served the elite interests very well and has often served working people and poor folks not very well. And that creates fissures that then right wing parties exploit. That's what's happening in Italy. That's what's happening in Hungary. That's what's happening in the United States. That's what's happening in parts of Latin America and parts of Africa. I mean, well, it's, and it's in, a pattern. And did you mention Sweden? And Sweden. Oh, my gosh. Totally Sweden. Sweden. You start rolling back the social safety network, right? So Sweden looked like it was immune from autocracy, in part because it had such a robust set of social economic policies. You right. start rolling them back. And look what happens. Oh, big surprise. They start creeping toward fascism. Um, and, 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 you know, it's funny because like Sweden has been the number one furniture maker in the world, but also <laughs> Great the, number one, <laughs> the number one, Perched like on reference, desk. thank you, go on, you were saying, <laughs> um, the number one, like reference to like maternity leave and stuff, right? Every, it, in ca casual conversation, you'll hear the word Sweden thrown around as um a, a, a the thing for like a country that cares about its citizenry, you know, and just to, to make sure that everyone understands what we're talking about here. Just this month, a far right group called the Sweden Democrats won big, um, and you know they are basically have now a substantial portion of the parliament, uh, and that's crazy, you know, uh, for a country that has been synonymous with care and compassion 
for its citizenry, um, a social safety net for its citizenry. But it's linked to the fact that they started rolling back that care and compassion. They started, you know, eroding retirement benefits. They started eroding uh, certain wage guarantees and protections. And, and they're, they're, it's a direct linkage. Can I tell you about a term I just learned that I... It's a brand new ski, so I'm just learning about it now. But when Georgia Maloney was elected, there was this article that came out talking about gender washing and the idea that far right factions are using women that they know will uphold the patriarchy, that they know will uphold white supremacy. Uh uh And they're sort of softening and being able to blunt their extremist views by putting them out there in a pastel suit. And it's like, oh, but it's a woman. And like, you can trust women. Yes. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that. You know, we see that in a character like maybe like a Sarah Palin or something. I was going to say, we call that Palin. Amy Coney. That's what we call it here. Wait, what Um, is it? What do they call it? What's the gender washing was the term that they used. Because I when I saw a video of her for the first time, I was shocked because she's like, you know, a beautiful blonde lady. Very Ivanka. And she just doesn't look like the head of the Brothers of Italy party. Like she's just not the person that you think would do that job. And and she definitely is. So this gender washing I think is so real. Um and yeah, it's like we... pick me girl times ten kind of. Exactly. Um oh. and, and you think, oh she's not gonna be, by the way, against women. You know, like, look at her. She's a woman. Uh, so it's, I have uh, never been well, more bullied in my life than by other women, though. Okay. So I think that, that so, could be, it could go either way. Two things. Number one, the pick me girl thing drives me crazy because my 14 year old says it all the time. And I find it so anti feminist. So anti feminist. But that's, terms. we could, yeah. okay. But second of all, that's exactly right. And that's what happened here, right? Like in Italy, you know, Matteo Salvini, who is a leader of the, if you can believe it, even more far-right, fasc- more fascist party, uh, has not been able to gain a toehold in the country. And, you know, she was, right? And and it turns out he's apparently very, very jealous and so forth. And I think, V, your analogy to uh, Ivanka is exactly right, right? A lot of people credited... I mean, if you talked to Trump voters in 2016 or, or would-be Trump voters in the run-up to 2016, a lot of them said, well, he can't be all that stuff about him grabbing him by the pussy and all. He can't be that bad if he has a daughter like Ivanka, right? right. He must so be somewhat of a so good posh. dad and a yeah. good guy because he has this strong, independent woman. Da- you know, she provided him cover. Uh, yep. and was a more sort of a palpable, right? And it is, it's an interesting way in which you're like, on the one hand, well, hey, that's cool. I guess that fascism is is getting this little feminist edge. On the other hand, it's a very interesting manipulation of our assumptions yeah. around gender, gender norms, etc. Um, it's, I, can yeah. I say, tell you also the, fir- the first thing that I heard when she was like, going to be the first prime, prime minister that's a woman, I was like, oh, but it doesn't count. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> like is that a horrible like vote? And she, it obviously count. does count. Yeah. It obviously does count. But because of her political, or it's it's sort of like Margaret Thatcher, right? It's always yeah. like, oh, yeah, she was the first, yeah. But like, okay. But was she? You know what I mean? But was when it was she? like, but well, yeah, like, could we get a woman that does the awesome stuff? Like, that would be great. <laughs> um, and then count her, like, okay, but obviously, I know I'm whatever don't at me i don't know who would at me in this situation yeah no no i want to see who asks you i would like to read those comments please (laughs) yeah at me because i'm curious to know who would at me okay um but uh the the other thing is interesting about the like the entirety of europe is is 
the the Syria conflict and then r- refugees that came out of it seems to have played a large part. And in countries like Italy and Albania, who were like at the forefront of receiving um, those refugees, I mean, V, do you see the refugee crisis like, you know, playing a big part in this? I think it's tricky. I also have a, a big hand in the food and food production world and the way that food moves through the system. And um, I think... I think that we have to be welcoming of new labor in all its forms. So we should be protecting it and not exploiting it. But I think that in countries where, like ours, where everyone has kind of had their turn to be the bottom rung, you would think that there would be a lot more welcomingness for those folks to sort of like advance and like understand the pipeline and like support them and be like, it was really bad for me. I don't want it to be as bad for you. And we don't see that. We see this idea of, my grandma used to say there's two kinds of people. There's people who are like, my life was bad, so yours has to be bad. And there are people who are like, my life was bad, so I'm going to give you a hand up. I think it depends on a lot of things. But again, it comes down to this nationalist point of view. If you yeah. want to align with white supremacy in many ways or with nationalist supremacy, then you're going to be more hateful and you're going to want things to be extra bad for somebody because you don't have a way to make your life any better in some cases. So the idea is like, well, if I can't make my life better, then somebody else's life has to be worse. And somehow that makes me feel like I got more. But um Folks, as yeah. I teach, as they teach toddlers every day, that's not how it works. Okay, sharing, sharing is, caring, is caring, motherfuckers. Okay, um, <laughs> and also I just want to say, oh gosh, one, one is that a T-shirt I could get? It is of the Faith the Nation sharing is caring T-shirt. No, sharing um, is caring, motherfuckers. I need the whole <laughs> sharing the is whole caring, T-shirt, motherfuckers. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, sorry. Um, uh, I just also want to point out before like anyone like gets really scared, super scared is the re- I think part of the reason why we don't need to totally flip out, although we should be concerned, is in a country like Italy, Italy is very decentralized on account of that whole Mussolini situation. And um, it's part of the European Union. So there are some guardrails here Mm -hmm. um, to make it, you know, hopefully impossible for someone like Georgia Maloney to like do whatever, you know, um, crazy authoritarian thing she may want to do. She like kind of can't do them just because of the setup. So um, keep that in mind as you, you know, and, and calm your panic. Um, oh, isn't it so beautiful in Italy and uh, Tuscany is so great this time of year. Because um, well, it might not be safe for gay travelers. And I mean, that's the thing. Those gay dollars start disappearing from your country and we'll see how hateful you actually are. Like when we're talking about people who are coming and bringing culture and bringing money and gay dollars. But also, here we are sitting in a country, you know, that was inextricably and I think for the better, I would argue for the better, shaped by Italian immigrants. And Italy mm-hmm. is a country that was wildly, and I would argue for the better, shaped by immigrants. I mean, the tomato, right? The tomato, this essential element, to go back to V's point about food, this essential element in in pretty much all Italian cooking up and down the boot came from immigrants, right? Pasta. You're welcome, Pasta came from immigrants. So, you know, it's like you can't, it's just this interesting thing, right, of the pulling up the ladder, Right. The, oh, well, we we now got ours. We now we're done. <laughs> um, and it is heartbreaking. It is unfortunate. Yes, Maloney is somewhat constrained, but can still do some tremendous damage, especially, uh, you know, vis-a-vis border poli- policy and migration policy. Um, and, you know, even even if having to sort of follow certain rules and regulations, you know, you can follow them in a way that is 
gracious and welcoming, a.k.a. Germany, or a way that is not. I mean, not to put Germany on a pedestal. They're not friggin' perfect either, but you know what I mean. Okay, continue. Uh, they, did, they did put more effort in, though, they after put more, all that. They, 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 they tried. We just did an episode on this. We just yeah. did an episode on the on the denazification They took of more number. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they I just, just, like, I mean, I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not, you know, whatever. No, We're being not. overly simplistic. But, like, if, if Italy could be more, you know, even in the past two years, could have been more like Germany, you know, We'll yeah. be having a different conversation. Anyway. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe they'll turn around quickly. Most Italian yeah. governments only last like two years anyway. So maybe yes. we'll be okay. It was, I don't low, know. It was there very low turnout. Hey. Um, all right, folks. Let me know. What do you think? Are you uh, canceling Are a you a fascist? To Italy? Are you a fascist? <laughs> yeah. Do you want a t-shirt that says carry, sharing is caring motherfuckers? All of these are questions that I have for listeners of Fake the Nation. Now, let us um, let us touch on topic number three. Um, okay, so we, like um, Andrew, sent me this really incredible poll. So he found that um, the most important things to achieve before reaching 40 include being fired from a job, falling in love, and becoming debt-free. Those are three of the most important th- things that you can do before you turn 40. Do you agree with these poll findings? And there are more, but they basically they surveyed 2,000 adults um, in the UK, so keep that in mind. Uh, <laughs> Brits are not I mean, a representative sample of anything. Of get the head, world. Get at me, internet. At me. At me. Uh, um, what did you, what did you think about this, V? Is, is falling in love, um, getting fired, and becoming debt-free, would, would those number in your top three before turning 40? I mean, I cannot imagine anyone turning 40 and being completely debt free, especially with the student loan crisis. So maybe in the UK, they would. Yeah, in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I agree. And I think one other thing I would add to this is you have to be somebody's bad guy. Like everyone wants to just think that love is this very clean and easy thing where we're always perfect and treat each other really well. But I think you learn a lot from accidentally even being somebody's bad guy or the one that has to do the breaking up, like going through the experience of being the one that has to break the other heart is humbling and difficult in its own way. And I think sometimes even more difficult than getting your heart broken. So I think I think that lesson is one where you really learn a lot about how you're going to navigate more difficult situations. You know, uh, that's a really I feel like that's a popular position that say sometimes it's harder to break up, be the heartbreaker. It's hard. I having been on both sides of that, I would say it was so much easier to be the the heartbreaker. Oh, I was terrible at it. Are you kidding me? I like so bad at it. It's possible that I'm a monster. Sally, what did you think of this list? So let's see. uh, I'm 45. Happy to admit it. Uh, I actually have never been dumped. But, you know, listen, my dating. Stop it. But my guys, my dating history. I've had as many. I've had as many girlfriends as most people have noses. So. You know, um, that's that's an old Kate Clinton joke for the lesbians out there. Uh, so I've only and I've also, which means I've only had to dump one person. It's it's not you know I don't have a big uh, comparison here. I will say obviously the debt free thing, a hundred percent agree. I wish I'd under I'm not debt free. I still have college or graduate school loans too. Uh, you know the thing I think I wish people knew to do before forty is. Um, uh, is somewhat similar to the debt thing, but like with your body, like you should, 
somehow you should know, someone should tell you, there should be a thing where like they sit you down in your 20s and they're like, so you, you don't think you make a lot of money now and you don't, but it's, it's not going to get that much better. So you need to start saving right now. You need to pay off your debt and start saving for your retirement. And also someone should sit down by kind of, it feels similar to me and be like, so just so you know, I know you may not love your body right now, but it's only going to get worse. So <laughs> you should like eat all the cake now and also maybe start going to the gym so that later, you know, when your knees really start failing and your elbows make noise, you, you have some, you know, muscle, some cushioning, something to fall back on there. You know what I mean? Like I wish that's the thing I wish someone had told me before I turned 40. Nobody See, did. I think I got I think I got like handsome when I was like 37. It took so long because I was so I mean, I don't know why, but I feel like my 20s were a very awkward. I'm still trying to like fit into what is a female box and like whatnot. And then like around 35 ish, 37, I was like, this is what I look like now and just started being myself. And I was pretty happy with that. But yeah, I mean, I'm happier with myself after I'm 20s. happier with myself than I was in my 20s, yeah. but I could eat. Bags of candy. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> bags of candy. Like, I remember bags of candy. And i just eat them. Yeah. And I'd be like, do 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 And now I, like, look at the candy. And, you know, I gain a pound and my back hurts. It's just someone should have <laughs> warned me. I would have at least enjoyed it more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, right, yeah, right. You would have taken a moment to, like, I remember um, I, I had to sit in on a focus group once of, like, 12-year-old girls for some sort Oof. of, like, product geared towards them it was just a weird experience i had to, I, I i like witnessed this focus group and one and i don't even remember what the, the question was or whatever but this one girl said um it's so it's probably something that her mom probably told her a million times this girl said well i'm not really concerned about my weight because i'm young so i can eat whatever i want and i need to be concerned about my weight when i'm a little bit older um because right now my metabolism's great like she literally said this at 12 and i was like oh wow like that's correct yeah. <laughs> i mean what a good friend yeah. you're I right that mom. And, i needed that mom <laughs> i know who's your mom because nobody told me that um but also i had weight issues as a child so never mind you know we, we don't we did. don't all we never wouldn't no we we weren't all the kind that could eat bags of candy but i could eat more candy than i can eat now i'm sorry um, and i didn't mean to flex my what do you, i know what's the, what's the term my metabolism well, your privilege youth, your youth yeah. but you know what like if i was a smart kid i would have looked at my parents and been like this isn't gonna fucking last but I wasn't because right. when you're a <laughs> right, kid, right. you think right. you're invincible. So I'm like, you know, right? So here's here's another one of the things that they found in the poll that 19% said that everyone should have owned a pet by 40, but just 12% believed having a one night stand was a must. And I want to take the position. I was shocked that it was only 12%. He's, again, am I a monster? I think everyone should have a one night stand. <laughs> like, I mean, who's with me? America. I would rather have a pet. I'm so awkward. Though. I've been married for so long and I'm so grateful to my wife because I was terrible at dating. I was so awkward at all of that. I hated it all. But I did always have a dog and I loved that dog. So I really, I think having a pet is better than having a one night stand, but I don't know. Well, um, I was so scared of girls. They were so scary to me. Dating was like spooky as a young lesbian. Oh my God. Sally, where are you on what night stands and personal development? I had a one-eyed cat that was, um, 
Yeah, a reject. Did he wear a little a little eye patch on the other eye? No, it just had like a it just a stitched up like this. Oh. Uh, and it had the it was the loudest cat I've ever met in my life. And I had that cat with my hi if you're listening um, high school sweetheart who I stayed oh. with for a very long time. And in retrospect, uh, I'm no, we're no longer together. Obviously, hence the aforementioned. God, we're sharing a lot on this episode. <laughs> we're getting to uh, Yeah, uh, it's the aforementioned uh, breaking up part. Um, man, do I wish. I was not afraid of girls. And uh, I <laughs> Lucky you. wish so that scary. when I had said aforementioned uh, uh, great metabolism and did not need to go to a gym uh, and had figured out pretty early on how to look pretty fly in some pants with a short haircut, I wish I would have uh, been having one night stands like crazy. That's a pretty big life regret that I just shared right here on Fake the Nation. So I agree about, I've never had one. I've never had one. They sound great. Not having one now. They're not great. I have a fr- I have a friend, a neighbor who literally who said to me, you know, we said something about blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I did when I was in my 20s or whatever. And she was like, oh, I never did that. And it's like a regret. I never yeah. had a crazy one night stands or whatever in my 20s. And now I feel like it's too late. She's like 40 and she's gorgeous. And I was like, well, it's not, you can still do it. I mean, you know, it's like, go for it. But, um, no. you know, I don't think uh, my partner thinks I can do it now. So <laughs> that's, that's probably the limiting factor. Um, no, I literally you know. would cry. This, at this one time, this girl tried to have a one night stand with me and I started crying because I got scared. <laughs> I just, <laughs> Guys, I... Oh. Wait, V, can I ask a question that feels yeah. appropriate? Because I'm old. I'm probably... I'm, I'm, you know what the funny thing is? Nagin, do you have this problem? I go to speak hmm. at, like, college things, and I think I'm their age. And I'm not. <laughs> but, like, in my head, they're uh-huh. my peers. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, v, how old are you? 40. You're 40? I'm 40. Oh, you carry yourself. As, youth, see, baby. that's because you use the TikTok. I figured you were younger. I'm a youth. I'm a youth by Does that by make proxy. you an old millennial? That makes you an old millennial? Elder millennial. Elder yeah. millennial. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I like you, because those younger millennials. Can we do a show on them? <laughs> Sorry. De- go ahead. Oh, it's all my fear has just kept my face really tight. <laughs> Um, by the but 64% of people who are already over the age of 40 said they still feel young. By the way, everyone should still feel young at every age. That's yeah. that's the other thing I believe that it doesn't you should all still feel young. Um, all right, folks, that is the end of the show. Um, oh god, I had so so much fun on this rainy day in New York. This is what I needed. So thank you so much. And I would love for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do do V this was your first time on hopefully not your last you're so incredible where do people find you so you can find the V interesting podcast wherever you get your podcast wherever you're listening to this V interesting and you can follow me at under the desk news on TikTok and Instagram Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Oh, my God. I cannot wait for people to discover Under the Desk News and your podcast. And just, folks, immediately subscribe. Do what you got to do. Sally Cohn, where do people find you? Um, Literally under my desk. I mean, that's the difference between me and I. I'm just actually hiding under a desk. It's a very scary time, folks. Uh, And occasionally I'll uh, tweet. I don't really tweet anymore. We all know it. Uh, or Instagram, <laughs> both of which, or I guess Facebook, I'm on there. I don't know. It auto-populates uh, at Sally Cohn, K-O-H-N. 
I love you as always, Nagin. I miss you. Oh my gosh, I miss you too. You're so delightful. Follow everything that Sally does. She under um, reports her own output, which involves a lot of writing. Uh, so you can also read her many good works in various publications. So I'll be on the lookout. Um, and you know where to find me and all the things that I do. And folks, don't forget, I'm going to be in Ann Arbor and in Kalamazoo in a few weeks doing the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me stand-up tour. Those dates are on my website. Um, um, I'm going to be doing a virtual fundraiser um, for uh, an organization that's trying to get out the vote with a bunch of other Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me people um, in a couple of weeks. Again, that's that's also um, on my way website. I think it's on October 15th. Um, so, you know, there's just a bunch of fun shows coming up, and I'll be uh, unveiling other dates as we move into the future. And... Um, I don't know. That's that's all I have to say on that part. What I would really like to do is thank everyone here who makes the show possible. We won this award in part because of the wonderful, wonderful work of people like our producer, Andrew McGuire, our wonderful audio engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, and everyone at HeadGum. Um, they're so delightful. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. Thanks to everyone who does. And uh, let us know if you have any ideas, races to watch, electoral contests to watch. Um, I'm I'm all ears about those races. We're coming up on these elections. So please, um, you know, get involved, get cracking, let me know. And um, we'll be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.